decided because of uh, the Lord leading primarily, but also because of some of the responses that I've heard um, on some of the messages, the standalone messages I've preached in the past on Bible doctrines, that I'm going to, starting with this Sunday, on the first Sunday of the month, the Lord's Supper Sunday each month, take a, a major Bible doctrine and expand it in more detail than I could in the previous doctrinal messages I've given. And I was thinking, where do you start? Well, one place you start in a series of doctrinal messages is with the problem that mankind has, uh, total depravity. This doctrine has been misunderstood by the notion that some people have that each person is as bad as they possibly can be. That is not total depravity. Because what about the unsaved persons who are decent, the ones who are rather moral, and the ones who are capable of doing some honorable good things. No, total depravity is not the notion that each person is as bad as he or she possibly can be. Rather, total depravity is the biblical teaching that every unsaved person is as bad off as one can possibly be in the sight of God, the only sight that counts. Total depravity means that a Before Christ, every person is as bad off as they possibly can be in the sight of God. Now, let's try to understand this a little further. I realize that Adam and Eve fell in Eden in Genesis 3 way before the church was born in Acts 2. I understand that completely. But let me just use some church-age lingo, language, to ask you this question. How far did Adam and Eve fall? In church age terms, they didn't fall up. They weren't better off. And they didn't fall part way to hang on to some branch that they could pull themselves up with. And they didn't fall to a ledge called the church. They couldn't be lifted up by a body of believers. No, Adam and Eve, when they fell in Eden, fell all the way. They could do nothing to please God. They could only count on God's provision of a Savior promised them in as early as Genesis 3, verse 15. Total depravity, when properly understood, eliminates oneself as the cure for total depravity, and it eliminates even the church as being the cure for being totally depraved. Total depravity, when properly biblically understood, demands that only Christ and his finished work can be the undoing of total depravity. Put another way, total depravity means that the unsaved person, without exception, is as bad off before a holy God as he or she can be. So let's keep looking at this a little more closely. Total depravity has to do with God's estimate of a person, not with a person's estimate of a person. Total depravity has to do with a person's standing, not with a person's conduct. Total depravity has to do with a person's condition, not with a person's behavior. Galatians 3.22 says this, but scripture has confirmed 
all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ may be given to those who believe. Let me read it again, Galatians 3.22. But scripture has confirmed all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. This verse is saying that the entire human race has been classified by God as being under sin, under sin. What does that mean? To be classified by God as being under sin, what does it mean? To understand what God classifying the pre-Christ person as being under sin, you have to understand three aspects of sin, ready? The first aspect, you have to understand personal sin. Personal sin, of course, are individual sinful acts which persons do against God's will and we say that we are sinners by action. You know Romans 3.23, which says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the fruit. Personal sin is the fruit. What's the root? That's the second aspect of sin we need to understand. Not only is sin personal sin, but sin involves a sin nature. A sin nature is the disposition, the tendency, the propensity to sin. If personal sins are the fruit, then the sin nature is the root. And if we are sinners by action in personal sin, we are sinners by nature, according to the sin nature. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as through one man, that is Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus sin spread to all men because all sin, this is a sin nature, it's something that's inherited by every single human baby from birth. Have you noticed, parents, you never had to teach your child to say no? And the first word a child says is usually no before yes. Romans 12, sorry, Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus sin spread to all men because all sinned. Psalm 51, 5, David's confession of sin after having adultery with Bathsheba and arranging the murder of Uriah. Embedded in that psalm of Confession of personal sin, David writes, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now that doesn't mean that marital relations are sinful. It means that from the point of conception, David, like all of us, had a sin nature. That's why the virgin birth is so critical to the understanding of the incarnation, to the understanding of the atonement, to the understanding of justification. Jesus Christ is the only human that was born without a sin nature because what was given as life in Mary's womb was not of a man, but of the Holy Spirit. And so we have a sin nature, a disposition, a tendency to sin. Ephesians 2.3, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature, we're by nature children of wrath, just as others. 
So you have to understand personal sin, that we are sinners by action, to understand how the state of depravity is. You also have to understand the sin nature that everybody comes factory installed with from birth, and that we're sinners by nature. Now what we can say, what theologians can say about Adam and Eve was that they were created with untried innocence. They had the potential to choose sin, but they were not created sinners. And so when Adam and Eve chose to disobey by eating of the forbidden fruit, their nature was changed in perpetuity from that of an untried innocence to a confirmed sin. Adam, the scriptures teach, was our root. And once he was corrupted by sin, he could only produce fruit that also was corrupted by sin. Like begets like. Dogs have puppies, not kittens. You want to understand total depravity and how a person outside of Jesus Christ is as bad off before God as he or she can be? You have to understand the three aspects of sin. Personal sin, sin nature, and third, the state of sin. The state of sin is the God-assigned condition of all unsaved persons. This is an arbitrary assignment. This isn't an ecclesiastical assignment. This isn't an ethical or a judicial assignment. This is a divine assignment, a theological assignment, the state of sin, the God-assigned condition of all unsaved persons, Galatians 3.22. But the scripture has confirmed all under sin category, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. God assigned condition, state of sinfulness. Romans 3, 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that all are under sin. Romans eleven thirty two, For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. You understand the depths, the dregs, of being totally depraved without Jesus Christ intervening, you have to understand three things about sin. Your personal sin, the fruit. Your sin nature, the root. And the classification that God has put on you outside of Christ as being a sinner. Classified by God as a sinner. You don't become a sinner because you do something worse than someone else thinks is not as bad. You are a sinner from birth because God says so. He classifies you in that category. We're sinners by classification. Now remember, the definition we're working with in this message is the biblical definition of total depravity that every unsaved person is as bad off as one can possibly be in the sight of God. So let's keep going. In what ways are depraved person as bad off as they possibly be, can be in the sight of God? Are there certain ways that they are as bad off as they possibly can be in the sight of God? Yes, I want to present five ways to you. 
Five ways that a totally depraved person is as bad off in the sight of God as he or she can possibly be. Ready? First, depraved persons are under sin. We've hit this verse before in the message. But the scripture has confirmed all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. One of the ways a person is as bad off as he or she can possibly be when they're unsaved before God is that they are under sin. The second way, depraved persons are spiritually dead. There may be some persons in the sanctuary who are physically alive, but you're spiritually dead still. There may be people watching on the internet that are physically alive, but they're spiritually dead. In scripture, death always means separation. And there are three kinds of death that scripture portrays. All are a paycheck for being a sinner. The first kind of separation death is physical death. I've had 67 funerals as your pastor since coming on staff. In each case, whether the person died in Christ or died outside of Christ, Physical death was the separation for those individuals of their soul and spirit that live forever from their body at the funeral home or the cemetery. Physical death is a separation of the soul and spirit from the body, but that's only one part of the paycheck. The next kind of death is spiritual death. Spiritual death was the person is alive in their body, but their spiritual relationship with God is dead. There's not one. Their prayers don't go any higher than the ceiling no matter how sincere they are. They're spiritually separated by their sin from a meaningful relationship with God. The third kind of death, the third kind of separation, is when the spirit and soul are reunited with the resurrected body of the unconverted, and that unity, that resurrected body, soul, and spirit are banished from the presence of God, separated from the presence of God in a literal place the Bible calls hell. Let's take these deaths one by one. We're saying that depraved persons are as bad off before God as they possibly can be because they are spiritually dead. They are dead spiritually. Ephesians 2.1, and he made you alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. That spiritual death, no relationship with God. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. That's physical death. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death separated all men because all sinned. So track with me. A person who's as bad off as he or she possibly can be without Christ in the sight of God is because they're under sin. Second, they are spiritually dead. Since Adam's sin, which was spiritual death, led to physical death, ever since that happened, ever since then, all persons who have come after Adam and Eve have physically died, except two that were translated alive in the Old Testament. Since everyone after Adam spiritually died when Adam originally died, Where were all those people when Adam was on earth? They were in Adam. Progeny, progeny, generation, generation, reproduction, reproduction, birth, birth. And so Ephesians 2.1 says again, and he made you, Ephesians, 
You believers at ancient Ephesus, you believers at Calvary Bible Church, now Bahamas, and he made you alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, but there's more. Not only is the person without Christ as bad off as they possibly can be in depravity because they're under sin and they're spiritually dead, but third, depraved persons are under condemnation. John 3, 18, Jesus said, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John 3.36, Jesus again, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life and does not believe in the Son, does not see life, but watch, the wrath of God abides on him. You realize that every day God is angry about sin. Persons without Christ are in desperate situations. Persons depraved outside of Jesus Christ are under condemnation. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6-10. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us, the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day, capital D, day, to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Did you catch it? That the depraved person who is outside of salvation in Jesus Christ is facing punishment of an everlasting duration and destruction away from the presence of the Lord of glory. That means that when someone says, of everybody who dies, this person says, of everybody they know who dies, may his soul rest in peace. May her soul rest in peace. Sorry, souls do not rest in peace unless they died in Christ. That's maybe as popular as a skunk at a garden party, but that's true. Biblically, that's true. Jesus said, narrow is the gate and the road that leads to life. And few find it. Broad is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many are on that road. The person without Jesus Christ as Savior is in a desperate situation. They're as bad off before God as they possibly can be because the depraved person is under sin and the depraved person is spiritually dead and the depraved person is under condemnation, but there's more. The depraved person is under the power of Satan. They are controlled by the evil one. In general terms, generally that's true. Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Before you're saved, you were in the power of darkness. That was the kingdom you were in. Generally speaking, the depraved person is being controlled by the evil one. 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Before we are in God by salvation, we are in the world. And this verse says that the world system without Christ lies under the sway of the wicked one. But this 
controlled by the evil one when we're not redeemed and therefore facing the full condition of being totally depraved, it also completely is controlling our intellect, our emotion, and our will. Let me talk about your intellect before Christ. It was blinded. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. Whose mind the God, little g, Satan, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. But there's more. Depraved persons are also under the power of Satan when it comes not just to their intellects, but also to their emotions. Romans 1, 21. Because though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 24, Romans 1. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Oh, yes. The person without salvation in Jesus Christ is in a desperate situation. They are as bad off before holy God as they possibly could be. Depraved persons are under sin. Depraved persons are spiritually dead. Depraved persons are under condemnation. Depraved persons are under the power of Satan at every level of their personality. And fifth, depraved persons are lost. When the Lord Jesus taught of God the Father's outlook on people who were totally depraved, he used three parables. The parable of the sheep, the parable of the coin, and the parable of the sun. And what the sheep and the coin and the sun all had in common was this. They were all lost, needing to be found. Luke 10, verse 19 Jesus' words of himself in his ministry. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of Man didn't come to seek and to save those who didn't have their best life now. The Son of Man didn't come to seek and to save those who were not as rich in material goods as they think they should be. The Son of Man did not come to seek and to save that which was chronically ill, and he would just guarantee healing to everybody who was sick. No, he came for the lost. For the Son of Man, Jesus said of himself, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So actually, the word that I've used in this sermon, and I've used other situations, isn't the best word, unsaved. It's not a biblical word, unsaved. The better word for a person not yet in Christ who's Bearing the impact and the consequence of all their total depravity is they're lost. God says of that person, they're lost. And so our simple church process to fully follow Jesus Christ is to love the Lord Sunday mornings, to love one another in our small groups, and to love the lost. To love the lost, because they're lost. And if they don't get found before their mortal deaths, they're lost forever. They must be reached and loved, explained, counseled, invited to the cross and the Savior on the cross. 
Before Christ, we all were totally depraved, lost, without a true relationship with God, and without any real and legitimate, substantiated promise of good from God. Before we were saved, while we were bearing the brunt of totally being depraved, we had no hope. And any hope we thought we had was like rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. Depraved persons are as bad off before a holy God as they can be because they are under sin, they are spiritually dead, they are under condemnation, they're under the power of Satan, and they're lost. This means that every single lost person you know, even the one you know that sometimes or maybe even oftentimes lives well and does decent things that the community can applaud, even that person without Jesus Christ lacks a real relationship with God isn't yet in on the promises of God and doesn't yet have a portion in the hope of God. Total depravity is a doctrine, a sobering doctrine of Bible teaching that every unsaved person is as bad off as he or she can possibly be in the sight of God, the only sight that really matters. Being that bad off in the sight of God is because, number one, the totally depraved, unsaved person is a sinner by action, by nature, and by classification. Further, the unsaved person is as bad off before God because he or she is totally depraved and unsaved and therefore is under sin, spiritually dead, under condemnation, under Satan's control, and is in the state of being lost. And so my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, our total depravity, your total depravity, my total depravity could only be undone by the workings of God. None of us are smart enough, pious enough, self-righteous enough, religious enough to undo the terrible, terror-filled state of being totally depraved. The only way out from being under that classification of being totally depraved in the sight of God is what, what, by what God has done in grace, what God has done in completeness, what God has done in love and mercy. Let me get specific. I'm going to cite some doctrines that I won't have time to go into this morning, but if God spares my life on future first Sundays of the month, we'll get into these doctrines. But let me just overview it with you. Total depravity. A person outside of Christ is as bad off before God as he or she possibly can be. And in the first place, they need to get out from under sin. The only way to get out from being under sin is redemption. 
Christ coming into the slave marketplace of sin and purchasing us off the slave block with his precious blood to set us free to do his bidding, never to have to go back to the slave marketplace again. It's redemption, propitiation, the full and satisfactory payment for sin of the Christ's blood. Imputation, the believer having Christ's righteousness imputed into his or her account like a banking transaction. The only way to get out from under being under sin is justification that because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross that God the Father can declare the believer in his son not guilty. That's how a person gets out from under sin. The workings of God. What about to be made alive to no longer be spiritually dead? Oh, that's the working of God to give life where there was spiritual death. That's regeneration. New birth. What about how do you get out from under being under God's condemnation? That's substitution. Jesus Christ didn't die to show us how to die. He died in our places, in our stead, instead of us. He died the death we should have died to give us the life we never could have earned. That's how you get out from under being under God's condemnation. He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Substitution. How do you get out from under being under the power of Satan like you were in your state of total depravity before Christ? That's sanctification. God's work of setting the believer in Christ apart for God's possession and use. Positionally, instantly at conversion. Practically in a day-by-day growing Christian life. Ultimately, in glorification, we see Christ face-to-face, either through physical death or the rapture of the church. All these things, the only way a totally depraved, unsaved person gets remedy for these things is the workings of God. How about, how does the person without Christ who is lost, how do they get found? Reconciliation. That the Lord Jesus, eternal Son of God, creator, stepped across the galaxies, the planets, the stars that he created by the word of his mouth and came to the dusty old tennis ball called Earth as a helpless, crying little baby boy. Reconciliation is when God, in mercy, comes to us the full way. Reconciliation is not like your checkbook at the bank or a business deal you bargain where each of you goes to the midpoint and agrees. No, reconciliation is God in Christ coming all the way to us as sinners. As a baby, the babe of the manger became the savior of the cross. How do you get out from under a state of total depravity? You can't do anything except to receive the workings of God that he's done for you in mercy in Christ. We're going to come to the Lord's Supper in a few minutes. When my wife and I uh, were in seminary in Dallas, Texas, she was the governess for a filthy rich family. They owned 32 restaurants in Dallas. They didn't know Christ as Savior, but they hired Beth 
because they loved her and they knew as a seminary student Christian she could be trusted with their only child. I'll never forget what it was like to be invited to the Cobb's parties only because I'm married to the governess that made me the governor. To walk into these black tie affairs and to enjoy food and drink with the Cobbs. One occasion, I was in the backyard of a mansion in Dallas, and there were these men, fathers of little children, and all the little children were playing together in the backyard, and we were dripping, uh, drinking uh, iced tea and uh, all wearing suits and ties. And this one fella, I presume was very rich, he turned to me and says, which one is yours? We didn't have children yet, but I, my wife was watching Savannah. I said, that one right there, we, 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 care, for, we care for Savannah. He goes, oh, how nice. Uh, what do you do for a living? I said, I care for Savannah. He goes, I care for Savannah too. I mean, what do you do for a living? <laughs> you see where I'm going with this? That when we come to the table of the Lord, the table of the one who's done everything required to take us out from being under sin, to make us spiritually alive where we once were spiritually dead, to be out from being under God's condemnation, to be out from being under the power of Satan, to be found after having been lost for however many years we each were lost. It's like a billion times over what it felt like to walk into these parties as a commoner. If I had $200 in my bank account at that time in my life, I felt rich. These multimillionaires to be with them at their parties. That's just like this. And that's, that's just material. It's earthly. It's temporal. We get to come to the table of the Lord. Delivered from having been totally depraved. Don't ever get over it. This ought not to be business as usual. This ought not to be the time in the service when you're glancing at your watch to say, am I going to get out for my restaurant reservation in time? We come to the Lord's Supper if we're believers in Christ, having come out from being under sin, having been made spiritually alive after once being spiritually dead, having come out from under being under God's condemnation, and having coming out from being under the power of Satan and having been found by God so that we are no longer lost. Oh, may we come to this table with eyes and hearts open wide. With eyes and hearts open wide. Lord, thank you for deliverance from the state, the classification of being totally depraved. If there would be anybody in the sound of my voice who's not yet in Christ, oh, may they respond to your wooing and your drawing and your pulling of them by your spirit to the cross of Calvary and the Savior on the cross. May they trust him and only him even this morning. Now as we sing of your love for us, Heavenly Father, may the powerful biblical doctrines they got us out of the mess we found ourselves in, come to mind. Redemption, 
propitiation, imputation, justification, regeneration, substitution, sanctification, reconciliation. As we sing of how deep your love is for us, Father, may it be from our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.